Okay, well, if you brought your copy of God's Word, and I always say this, if you brought your copy of God's Word, and then I always put God's Word on the screen, and so it sometimes makes it less needful, like, well, you put it up on the screen, Pastor Ben, so why do we bring it? So I've almost thought about, how could I use this without actually putting the Scripture here so that we as a body get used to handling, feeling, touching, turning pages within the Bible. I'm still working on that one um, because the Bible is a, it's a, it's the, a resource that God has given us. It's his word for life. So if you've brought your copy, open with me to Matthew chapter 7. And you may recall two weeks ago, I'm going to try this one more time to see if this will open up for me. Usually this is what helps this screen get larger when I do that right there. And it's not working for me today. So we're going to have to go with what we have. So two weeks ago, um, before I was afflicted with some kind of virus, I don't know what that was that I came down with, we were looking at Matthew seven thirteen through verse 14, and as I mentioned, we're getting to the end of Jesus' sermon, this sermon on the mount. And he's narrowing down these the last few illustrations that he is narrowing us down to in his teaching are some of what have been called the, the hard sayings of Jesus. Some have referred to it as the gospel according to Jesus, different aspects of that. And so we saw, you may recall there in verse 13, was all we were able to look at last time. And we saw that Jesus entreats people, all these individuals who are on this hillside that he's been preaching to, he's entreating them now to enter through a narrow gate. And he says that this gate, there's another gate that's wide and it's broad and it leads to destruction. And he says there are many who enter through it. So his admonition, if you will, it's, it's, a, it's in an imperative form that says enter through the narrow gate. And you hear people all the time saying, well, the word of God commands us to believe. The word of God calls us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here Jesus is, is commanding people to enter through this narrow gate. And so we spent a lot of time last two weeks ago talking in particular about verse 13 and what makes this gate narrow? Uh, why, is it, why is it seemingly a difficult gate through which to enter? And when you enter through said gate, what's on the other side? When you enter into something, there's something on the other side. And so if you weren't here two weeks ago, we talked about this, and we talked about how when you enter through this narrow gate, what's on the other side is this kingdom of heaven, this this promise of eternal life with with Jesus, with God forever and ever that would begin in his in his millennial kingdom that he's been talking about, John the Baptist came preaching of, but that also begins now by faith in his name. So if you missed that sermon from two weeks ago, let me encourage you to go back and look at that on YouTube, and um, that will give you some connecting points. There's too much for me to, um, to recap here this morning from verse 13. But suffice it to say, the gate that Jesus is speaking about is himself. It's a restricted, narrow, difficult way through which a man must enter. The gospel, Jesus, calls people to come and die to themselves and to follow him. Okay? And so 
then we talk some about this Broadway that leads to destruction, the multifaceted culture and the voices that are out there that are making this Broadway seemingly so tantalating, so inviting, so nice, but it leads to destruction and we need to be cautious of that. But verse 14, let's pick up where we left off two weeks ago. He says a few more things, Jesus does, with regard to this small narrow gate. Notice verse 14 with me. He says of this gate, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. So we learn here from verse 14 about this, uh, a couple things about this narrow gate. Number one, we see that it leads to life. We saw two weeks ago that there was a broad gate and a broad way that led to destruction. And here it's being articulated. Jesus is articulating that this gate through which he's entreating us to enter is a gate that leads to life. But then secondly, we see here, and he articulates very plainly, he says, there are few who can find it. And there are few who find it. So this gate, which is small and narrow, again, leads to life. It's this gate that leads to a man or a person's entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So when an individual enters into the kingdom of heaven, one's expectation should be that they are going to find life. And when we look at the promises regarding the future coming kingdom of Messiah from the Old Testament, it's made very clear that those who enter into this period, this time of renewal with the Messiah are entering into a time of life and life that is eternal in the presence of God, both in the millennial kingdom and then forever in this eternal state that ushers in after that, that ensues that millennial kingdom. It's that time period where the, as we say, the lion lays down with the lamb. No more sin, no more tears, no more crying. There's going to be rejoicing because King Jesus is ruling forever and ever and ever. So this life that's mentioned here in verse 14, right here, this life, the gate's small and the way's narrow that leads to life, this life mentioned here is eternal life in the presence of God, both now and forever. And we see that it's both now and forever when we look at a passage like 1 John chapter 5. Verse 11 and 12, familiar with this passage? It says, John says that the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. So here we're talking again about life and eternal life. And this life, this life is in his son. So... If you enter through the small gate that Jesus is entreating you to enter into, it leads to life. John the Apostle articulates and he says that this life is in his Son. And he, verse 12, he who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son does not have the life. So we see here that once a person has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, i.e. has the Son, which clearly would be that which would imply a genuine salvation, a genuine conversion, that individual already what? Right here. Has, present tense, the life. So at the moment of conversion, we as God's children enter into a state of possessing and enjoying eternal life 
It's not, it's not just something we're waiting for in the future somewhere. Like, well, later, whenever I die, absent from the body present with the Lord, then I'll have eternal life or when the eternal kingdom is established in the, in, in, or the millennial kingdom in the eternal state, then there will be eternal life. We need to be living as those who understand and recognize that we are possessors right now. If you've placed your faith in the Lord, you've confessed him as Lord, and you've asked for the free forgiveness of sins, we have and are possessors of eternal life right now. Isn't that good news? We need to learn to think of ourselves the way God articulates who we are in relationship with him. And this is one of the beautiful reasons that death has no sting. Death has no sting. What, what can they do to me? They can kill the body, but they can't touch the soul. They can't touch me. I belong to King Jesus. I'm in the palm of his hands, and nothing can take me away. It's right now, from, from the time you became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ through all eternity, you are secure in the beloved forever and ever and ever. He who has the Son has, present tense, the life. Entrance through that narrow gate leads to this eternal life, both now and in that kingdom yet to come. And it's this kind of language, it's this kind of truth that helps us speak about and understand. Um, have you ever heard somebody talk about uh, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God as being an already not yet reality? Has anybody ever heard that kind of language? Already not yet. And so this already aspect is it's dealing with this. He who has the Son has the life. We have entered into, the, into this realm of the kingdom of the rule and reign of King Jesus over his church, over his people. We are a part of that. King Jesus is ruling over his church right now, already. And so we, you'll hear people say, already and not yet. So the already is the now, those within the church, those whom God has saved, King Jesus is ruling over his kingdom through us, his subjects, and then the not yet aspect will be that kingdom that's to come that ushers in the eternal state. Isn't that good news? Now, that's good news, but let's deal with Jesus' statement here that's um, a very difficult part of this statement to deal with, and it's there at the very end of verse 14. It's something we can rejoice in that Jesus entreats us, verse 13, to enter through the narrow gate, and this gate that's small, it's narrow, it's difficult, it's restrictive. We saw that two weeks ago, but it leads to life, and life in King Jesus, eternal life. But the very end of verse 14 is something that we have to also give consideration of because Jesus said, and there are few who find it. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something about this that that's, it. it kind of is, I think, intended to arrest our attention. What do you think? Yes, entreat. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'm going to give you life. I'm kind of paraphrasing some other verses here with this, but, but there's going to be few of you who can find it. I'm entreating you to come. You need to enter this way, but few of you are actually going to be able to find it. What is, what is Jesus doing here? And this is one of those portions of scripture that's really kind of 
difficult to mesh together. Because on the one hand, we know when we read the Scriptures that there are the elect of God that are His choosing, and that it's not according to the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. We see that in Romans chapter 9. We see that in many other places. But at the same time, we see the Word of God entreating us to come, all who will come, believe, enter through this narrow gate. And so there's this sense of tension that the Scriptures holds beautifully together that I don't think we're intended necessarily to pull apart. I think when we try to pull that asunder, we do damage to both sides. I think we're intended, and I think the, a passage like this, the more I've reflected on it, it's led me to the, 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 uh, the conclusion that what Jesus is doing here is he's talking to those on the hillside, and he's given this beautiful sermon about the way of life. And then he says, and here's, and here's this gate, and there's it's small, and it's narrow, and it's restrictive, and it's going to look like the Beatitudes. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Oh, and there's going to be few of you who find it, but come. Enter through this way. Come. It seems to me that what Jesus is doing here, he's giving us a moment to pause, a moment of reflection to say, Lord, is this me? Rather than trying to figure out how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, rather than getting lost in so many theological discussions about all kinds of things, I think Jesus is bringing us to a point where we're, I think, intended to say, Lord, is this me? When he said, few are those who find it, is that me? Am I one of the few that can find this beautiful narrow gate that leads to life? And if it is me, how would I know? How would I know if this is me? How do I know if I have access into this gate? Well, he entreated you to come, so come. And Jesus beautifully doesn't leave us, it seems to me, guessing. Just a few verses later, and we're going to get there perhaps next week. We see Jesus bring some clarity to this aspect and when he just says here at the end of the sermon in 7, 24, and 25, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. What did he just call people to do? He entreated them to enter through the narrow gate. He's putting himself out there as the Messiah of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Genuine repentance is what's is required to enter into this. And even John the Baptist, remember, he kind of goaded the Pharisees and he said, hey, you need to bear fruit that's in keeping with repentance. Don't just show up and do the religious thing and then leave and act like you can live however you want to live. He, he kind of scolded those Pharisees, right? And then Jesus at the very end, after kind of saying, few there be who find it. Lord, is that me? Did you hear my words and did you act on them? That's how you know. Kind of a very simple way of understanding what Jesus is doing here. We're going to delve more into the very end of this sermon next week or the week after that. But do you hear the words of Jesus and have you acted on them? Jesus has said that there's a narrow gate. It's restrictive. It's not easy. It's the narrow way that you must come. And he said, it's gonna, as we're going to see uh, next week, beginning in, in verse 21, it's those who do the will of the Father. So are you, a, are, are you acting on the words? Are you desiring to become a student of the Lord's words and live according to his words? Lord, is it me? Few there be who find it. Allow those words to cause you to sleep uneasy every night the rest of your life until you've answered the question in the affirmative, yes, Lord, I've trusted in you and your lordship over my life and your blood is the forgiveness of my sins. 
once and for all. Might he be the hound of heaven over our souls that bids us come, die, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to give you uniquely your individual place in which you get to serve me, the Lord, in this life. Lord, is it me? Listen, family, the gospel according to Jesus requires us to consider, does it not? It calls us to consider the cost of following him. There's parables that say about not putting your, if you put your hands to the plow and and you look back, Jesus says, you're not worthy of me. If you put your hands to the plow, you say, yes, Lord, I'm with you. I'm going all the way to the end of this line. I don't know. Oh, Lot's wife, looking back, second guessing. Maybe following Jesus wasn't the best option. Maybe, and there's all kinds of siren songs, and Jesus is about to, to deal with this, that are calling us to come and die for something else and to give ourselves for something else, to live for something else, to find pleasures in something else that are temporary and fleeting and do not satisfy when Jesus is offering us life and life eternal. Now, I read this quote to you a few weeks ago, and I had so many people say, wow, where'd you? what's that quote? Send that quote to me. I want that quote. Can you give me that quote? So I'm going to give it to you one more time. This one's good. This is from Arthur Pink. He has a little commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably still available. It's pretty old, but you can get it, and I can get this to you if you need it. Listen to this. He said, when a servant of God describes the narrow way of professing Christians, they heed him not, but charge him with teaching salvation by works and bringing souls into bondage. Not knowing that the gospel is the handmaid of the law and not its enemy, saving faith not only trusts in Christ, but follows him. It not only believes God's promises, but obeys his precepts. Saving faith is a fruitful thing, abounding in good works, Ephesians 2.10. It enables its possessor to endure trials, resist the devil, and overcome the world. None tread the narrow way save those who make vile godliness their chief concern, the main business of life who make vital, excuse me, who make vital godliness their chief concern, the main business of life. Hence, we see why it is that the vast majority of our fellow men and women, yea, and of professing Christians also, will fail to reach heaven. Lord, is it me? Few there be who find it. Is it is because they prefer sin to holiness. They prefer indulging the lusts of the flesh to walking according to the scriptures and make all kinds of excuses as to why they can't not do it. They prefer, prefer self to Christ, the world to God, the broad way to the narrow. 
They are unwilling to forsake their sins, destroy their idols, turn their backs on the world, and submit to Christ as Lord. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus describes two gates and two destinies. Which one are we on here this morning? Lord, is it me? Now in verses 15 down through verse 20, Jesus is going to warn his listeners about the prospect of being deceived from entering through that narrow gate. Could you imagine that there might be a deceiver out there that wants to deceive the world and perhaps you from entering by that narrow gate that Jesus has entreated you to come by? Can you imagine that? Well, I think you can. You live, you're alive, you're living, you're, you're paying attention to what's going on. So Jesus here in verses 15 through 20, after giving the invitation to enter by the narrow gate, to come to God by the only means that he has provided, that's through Jesus, he warns of those who would mislead us. Just as there's a misleading gate and a misleading way, there are also misleading preachers and teachers who point to the gate, who encourage you to walk by that broad way. So Jesus now gives a warning. Notice verse 15. He says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, if there ever was, were a verse in all of the word of God that the saints of God need to heed desperately, would it not seem to be this one? Remember, it's in Ephesians 5.11, we're told to put on the full armor of God so that we'll be ready to stand firm against what? I've mentioned this several times. The schemes of the devil. Your adversary, the devil, church, has schemes that he wants to work against you. And they're little arrows that somehow float into our mind, and it sounds like an awful lot like our voice that tells us that, no, you don't need to do that. No, you don't need to. Instead, do this. And it's almost inevitably, the instead do this is something that makes the broad gate seem really appealing. A lot easier, and indeed it is, a whole lot easier. And it seems most assuredly that through those schemes of the devil, that the devil himself uses these false prophets that Jesus here tells us to be aware of, that they are the ones that are propagating these schemes and devices and, the, and the, to propagate these, uh, this false doctrine that he's wanting to promote in place of truth. We see this several places in the New Testament. We see this in Jude 3 and 4. Look at Jude 3 here. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith, the truth that's been handed down by the apostles. Contend for the truth of the gospel, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Contend for that. Don't let anything change from what's been handed down from the apostles. Why? Verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. And I think these are these false prophets, the very ones whom Jesus is saying, beware of. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation and notice, these false prophets, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, 
Jesus Christ. It's for this reason Jesus tells us as his kids, as the church, that we need to be aware. Notice the, um, the definition of this from Luanida, the, the word here for beware. It's to be in a continuous state of readiness. Pay attention. This is what, we're in, what we are called to do. We are called to be in a continuous, Jesus said, beware, be in a continuous state of readiness to learn of any future danger, need, or error, and to respond appropriately. Isn't that good? Doesn't it highlight for us, even all the way down to this day, Christ teaching? You know, one of the things about the Great Commission was what? Go make disciples of all the nations, teach them to observe all I've commanded you. This is one of the things that Jesus has commanded us. To be aware of false prophets who are going to try to make the narrow gate not look so attractive and the broad gate look so beautiful and pleasing and easy to the flesh, easy to accommodate. This is one of the very things that disciples of Jesus Christ are called to do, to be in a continuous state of readiness for error. So let me just ask a simple probing question. How's your quiet times going these days? How is your steady intake of the Word of God so that you know what God's Word calls you to do? How is that going? So little bit by little bit, a little here, a little there, line upon line, precept upon precept, you're getting God's Word in you so that when you're out there in the world and you start hearing and seeing things that are contradicting what God's called us to do, we can be aware, we can, we can act accordingly and be disciples of Jesus, followers of His and do what he's called us to do. Listen, I watched a, it's, I guess it's a movie. I'm not sure if it's technically a movie or what, but they called it a movie. Um, the last week when I was a little bit under the weather, um, I, was, I watched this little movie. They, they streamed it for free on Twitter, and it was titled, What is a Woman? I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen that at all. I'd heard about it, but I'd never seen it. But I was reminded in very shocking ways just how deceptive false prophets are. Those promoting doctrines of demons can truly be. This trans movement that we are watching play out before our very eyes has successfully led many people to believe that one's gender and one's sex are two separate realities in contradiction to God's word. And as such, a man can be wrongly born into a woman's body and a woman can be wrongly born into a man's body. And it's for this reason they say with straight faces that men can have babies. It's un and that women can, well have male body parts. I would encourage all adults to watch this little movie, What is a Woman? And be prepared to take actions to protect oneself, one's family, one's children. If you haven't noticed, it's, 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 um, it's what it's all about these days. And if you dare say anything about it, it will cost you deeply. Have you noticed this? They have turned science on its head. 
And don't be mistaken, this is a very attack of the adversary. This is doctrines of demons at play. And it didn't just start last week. It started in the Garden of Eden. And it's been a death by a million cuts. And I don't care about all the, well, the, the, we were silent, we should have done that. I'm, I'm not interested in all the things we could have, should have, did, would, would have done. It's irrelevant. Today, if we don't start trying to do something about this, I'm telling you, in a decade from now, you will not recognize your country, and I probably won't have the ability to preach and say the things that the Word of God says are true without it being called a hate crime and my can being thrown into prison. It's already happened in Canada, if you're not paying attention. And just this past week, did you notice what the great state of California came out with? That if parents don't affirm the pronouns of their children, it's going to be like a hate crime and they're going to put them in jail. That's what they're trying to get shoved down the throats of the, great, of the, of the Californians now. Now maybe they, the land of the fruits and nuts, maybe that's what they want. But it seems to me that people have been leaving there in droves. How about you? This is a wide way that leads to a wide gate that leads to utter ruin, utter destruction. And yet we see so-called pride flags almost everywhere we go, every store we enter, saying that gender is non-binary. As a matter of fact, I saw something with it, it was this past week or the week before that. You've probably heard of some of the things going on with Bud Light and Target, right? Target had, these, this, had an entire section. I don't know if they still do or not. I don't care. I'm not spending another dime at Target. Well, I never bought Bud Light anyways. It's just not my preferred beer of taste. I'm kidding. I actually don't drink any beer. You can ask my wife. But... um. Now, I saw this, and they had this section there. They had a little children's book. You know, those little, they're small, and they're really thick, and they're hard. You know, the little children's book, you know, like Goodnight Moon or the things that we read to our kids. It said, Bye, bye, binary. They are coming after the children with doctrines of demons to indoctrinate them so that they grow up thinking that which is an abomination to God, is normal. And so there's a lot of people that are making choices these days, it seems, with where they do spend their hard-earned money. And I don't know about you, but I've made a decision. It's hard to ferret everything out. So I'm not looking for somebody to drag me over the coals and say, well, you still do this. I'm not looking for that. But if it's an obvious and blatant uh, use of indiscretion from any company, I'm purposefully trying to find ways to send my hard-earned money elsewhere. And I would encourage you to, to do the same. You can spend your money however you want, but I'm telling you, they're coming. You're, we're next. Don't, don't be mistaken. The silencing of the Word of God and the teaching of God's Word, it's coming. It's coming. It's here. Will we make a stand or will we not make a stand? And I don't know if we can turn the tide. Was it two years ago we were preaching here from the pulpit through the, the book of Daniel, right? Yeah. So we, we know that it, from the book of Daniel and from the book of Revelation, from God's Word, we know that there is a one world government that's coming. But I don't know about you. I'm not 
anxious to just get on board and start funding that myself. I'm just going to let God take care of that. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to stand against what's evil. We're not going to call evil good and good evil. We're going to stand for what's good and we're going to support the things that are good and we're going to let God take care of that other big stuff. That's just the way we're, we're moving forward. And we're going to have to do it unapologetically. But you've got to be wise as serpents. Pastor Matt preached a sermon recently about not throwing your pearl before the swine because they will trample you under. So be cautious out there. Strike when striking is necessary and effective, but don't just go randomly striking. You never know. It may come back and, and, and harm you and, and with some harm that you ought not be harmed with. So be wise, okay? Be wise. So Jesus tells us, beware. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Oh, they used to look a lot like us. They don't look so much like us anymore. And I don't know if you've paid close attention or not, but have you noticed how almost every mainline denomination has catered to the LGBTQ plus agenda? They've adopted gay pastors, homosexuality. They've adopted, almost every mainline denomination has adopted this. If you don't think that sheep's and wolves' clothing have been out there afflicting the church for years and years and years, your head's been in the sand. It's there. We see it. Jesus said, Beware of it. It's coming. It's nothing new. It's nothing new under the sun. But we need to beware. Amen. We need to be those who notice the very end of this, this, uh, definition right here. We need to be those who are in a continuous state of readiness to do what? To respond appropriately. To respond appropriately. We need not be lured into silence any longer. We need to speak the truth now, but speak it with great discernment and wisdom. Don't put your head in a chopping block needlessly. Maintain your influence as long as you can in the sphere and the circles in which you live as long as you can. Be about making disciples. Preach the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. We probably can't turn the big tide, but if we can win little skirmishes, that is the salvation of souls, which God's all about and wants to use his church about, that's why we're here. This isn't going to last forever. And we need to be cognizant of that. Jesus lets us know with certainty that false prophets will be part of the new covenant church age. Without question, false prophets were one of the main factors, if you think about this, in the apostasy and the destruction of the nation of Israel. Read through your Old Testament history. False prophets were rife, and they led the people astray. They led their hearts astray to worship false gods, false idols, to do sexually immoral things, and brought about their deportation on more than one occasion. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. It's, it, this, like I said, this isn't something new under the sun. Jesus' warning is the same warning the apostles took very seriously. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves, sheep in what kind of wolves in what kind of clothing? 
Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will rise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. That way is too narrow. That's really not what God intended. This broad way right over here, doesn't this look more appealing? And it speaks to their perverse, selfish interests every single time. Peter said the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 2. Well, what's this Acts thing right here? That's what I just did. What did I just do? Acts 20. Acts, oh, it's the end of the verse. I'm sorry. Peter did the same thing. Notice what Peter says. False prophets. You think they were listening to Jesus? Were they being aware? Absolutely. False prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing them swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their what? Seeing a pattern? And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned and in their greed... They will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We've seen this in Jude, from Paul, from Peter. Clearly one of the central tenets of these false prophets and their teaching is a degradation of holiness within the life of God's people, claiming that holiness isn't really a prerequisite of being a child of God. Again, Arthur Pink said, the general characteristics of false prophets is that they make vital godliness to be a less strict and easier thing than it actually is, more agreeable to fallen human nature, and thus they encourage the unregenerate to be satisfied with something which comes short of true grace. This is the common mark of all false teachers, rejecting the divine way. They manufacture one to suit themselves and however they may differ among themselves that all agree to make the practice of piety and the Christian walk an easier thing than the scriptures do. To offer salvation on cheaper terms, to make the gate wider than the way to heaven, broader than did Christ and his apostles, it is this which explains the secret of their popularity. Nothing new under the sun. It's just that the speed of that snowball, that as it rolls downhill, it picks up girth and speed and the potential for damage. When we look at our Christian landscape today, we see carnage everywhere. Everywhere. Because false prophets and teachers have crept in among us. We haven't dealt with them properly. And they are there to purposely deceive. Broad is the way and broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And what did it say from verse 11? And many go thereby. Jesus said the gate that leads to salvation, the gate that leads to life, life through him is narrow, it's restrictive, it's difficult. One must give consideration because you're coming to die. You're laying your, you're laying your life down, and you're, and you're taking his life instead. And you say, well, well, pastor, 
Does it really say that? All, all I do is I just say John 3.16. I just, when I go and I share with people, I just say John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That's all I say to people. And I say, well, then you need to parlay John 3.16 with every other aspect of what the gospel according to Jesus says because it's not intended to be separated. Yes, John 3.16 is beautifully true, but so is what Jesus says that you need to consider the cost of following him, that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Entrance into that narrow gate, that narrow way that leads to eternal life, it's not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, the, the new, through the New Testament, all the apostles clearly articulate, articulate that, that through much suffering, we must go in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that doesn't seem like the American gospel, Pastor Ben. It's not. But it's a gospel that's been preached all around this globe for the past 2,000 years. And it's the gospel according to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Amen? And he's calling you, if you want to truly follow him, to come and die. He's not wanting you just to come and make him an appendage. Hey, Jesus is my friend. Well, it's good that he's your friend. But is he Lord? Are you reading the word? Are you learning to obey? Are you walking in obedience is there sobriety? Are you being aware because there are false prophets that are trying to make that broad way look so attractive to you? It's, it's such a sensual looking way. Did you notice on every Jude, Paul, Peter, every one of these false teachers that came in, the, the, the concept of sensuality, of, of appealing to one's fleshly desires has always been a part of it. And then you look at what we see today, Pride Month, appealing to people's sensual, lustful fleshly desires and turning it into a religion of sorts? Oh my goodness. Church, we need to be aware and we need to be those who are willing to take strides to stand for truth. But as I said, don't be foolish in your application therein. Be wise. Now from verse 16 down through verse 20, Jesus makes his case for the reality uh, that these false teachers are trying to make the, the broad way really attractive and the narrow way not so nice. Notice verse 16 through 20. You will know them by their fruits. Who, who's them? What's well, the, the, those to whom you're to be aware of? Beware of the false prophets. You will know them by their fruits. Notice the very end, verse 20. So then he repeats himself. So we have bookends. So then you will what? Know them by their fruits. 16, you will know them by their fruits. This is a direct reference to the false prophets. Jesus is letting us, as his people, know that we need to beware. Beware. Be watchful. There's a way that you can know false prophets from true prophets, you might say, because he talks about good trees, and he talks about good fruit, and he talks about bad trees, and he talks about bad fruit. And so clearly the bad trees that bear bad fruit are these prophets, these false prophets that you're going to know by their fruits. Their fruit is their life. The fruit of their life. The, that which comes forth from their living. What they produce. Fruits. All people are bearing some sort of fruit. And so the entire section here from verse 16 to 20, it's not overly complex. Let me just read it in total and then let me tell you what Jesus is saying. He says, you will know them by their fruits. Notice, grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes. Is that pretty simple? 
Yeah. Nor figs from thistles, are they? The obvious answer is no. Everybody knows that. That's, in other words, he makes, he makes this, these two examples so diametrically opposed and thus so obvious that the answer to where, the, the answer and, and what he's driving us to is also to be extremely obvious. So, in the same way that that's extremely obvious, so every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is exactly what John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, I think it is. And do you know what John the Baptist... Let me see, did I put that slide in here? I don't know if I did or not. I'm getting ahead of myself. I didn't. But this is why you have your Bible, right? Watch this. Chapter 3, verse 10. You ready? John the Baptist in verse 8 says, Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So he's, he's connecting the idea to these Pharisees who've come for the baptism of Jesus in the waters because they want entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He says to them, Bear fruit that's in keeping with repentance. And don't suppose, verse 9, that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that from these stones God's able to raise up children to Abraham. And then notice he says almost the exact, he will say the exact same words here. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus reiterates exactly what John the Baptist said in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. And in this context, John the Baptist has connected this in the context with genuine repentance and the keeping of fruit therein. In other words, these false prophets, these aren't just people that kind of have a little bit of doctrine that's off. Now, these false prophets are individuals who have not genuinely repented. They have not known the way of life. And they are perpetrating false doctrines purposefully to deceive people. And the, the way of their end is the way of death. Hellfire is what's going to be good enough for these false prophets who are leading astray and making the Broadway look attractive. It's that simple. So then you will know them by their fruits. False prophets are individuals who need the Lord. False prophets are individuals who need salvation. False prophets, if God doesn't open their spiritually blind eyes to see, will perpetually lead people in error all their lives. And how are we to be discerning to understand who they are? You watch their lives. Watch what their lives will produce. You know, and this is... Man, I'm opening up a can of worms here. You ready? if I hadn't already opened a can of worms already, but listen to this one. This is one of the things that utterly astounds me with this modern idea of having a pastor come down on a screen in cities all across the country, and you don't even know that man nor his family and what his life looks like at all. 
Oh, he sounds good. What he's saying seems right. But what Jesus is being aware, what he, he's not saying, hey, he's not, he, as a matter of fact, he said they're going to kind of come in sheep's clothing. They're going to look like you. But what's the distinguishing point that Jesus makes here is their life. Their life can be contradictive to their words. And so you listen to their words long enough and you think, oh, those words sound good. And then you start taking more and taking more and then you become a devotee. And then you find out that they're kind of fanning a flame that says, hey, this broad path over here is not so bad after all. How do you know their life? And so as you can tell, I'm not a big fan of the screen. I think clearly from the New Testament that elders are to be selected among individuals within churches who know them, who know their families, who've watched them raise families, who know, who know the character of the man. How do you know the character of a man who comes down on the screen and then he goes up, say bye, Junior, there goes your pastor. Bye, Pastor, I'll never see you, but bye. I mean, it's mind-boggling. I do not get it. Okay, I feel a little better now. I've vented my spleen. But the words that Jesus gives us here of being aware of false prophets, listen, we have access to podcasts everywhere. We have access to YouTube videos everywhere. We listen to people all over the place. Beware. Do you have the ability to watch their life? To see how that, was, it, was he a good husband? Did he treat his wife respectfully? When he walked her out to the parking lot, did he walk three steps ahead of her and not even get the door? How do you know? How do you know that he was a man of character? You will know them by their lives, by their fruit. Beware. Beware of being overly addicted to podcasts and your favorite teachers here and there and all these screens. You need to know their life. Amen? That's what Jesus is saying. I'm just trying to say what Jesus said. You will know them by their lives, by their fruit. That's what Jesus said. I'm just saying what Jesus said. So church, let's beware. If you're willing to listen to somebody and imbibe on their teaching, know their lives. Be willing to invest some time to know their lives. What's their character? What's the... What's the fruit of their lives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It takes, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot harder work to do that, amen? It's a lot harder work to do that. Well, next week, potentially, we're going to try to finish up the Sermon on the Mount. It may take two weeks. We're going to find out what comes. It may be a two-week, but, but Jesus is going to make this point of this narrow gate and of following him all the more explicit. And some of the hardest sayings of Jesus in the Gospels we're going to run into next week. And it's sayings that people typically don't like. They don't like what he has to say. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't fit with a preconceived idea of how things are supposed to go. Personalized theology, etc., etc. We need to come and we need to listen to what Jesus says. And then we need to be saying, Lord... Is it me? Don't leave today without knowing that you've entered that narrow gate, that you've fallen on your sword, that you've named Jesus Lord over your life. You recognize he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of glory. He's your master. 
and that his shed blood was for the free forgiveness of sins, we can't divorce these beautiful truths that Jesus holds so tangibly together.